Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Well, Mike, it's a sad day, a sad week, and a sad time for New England. So long, coffee culotta. You know, it's tough to find stuff that doesn't run on Duncan in Massachusetts. That is absolutely true. That little (laughs) orange and pink logo is just found everywhere, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I live half a mile from a Duncan, and then a mile from the next Duncan, so wow you are really far from duncan <laughs> i know i'm I'm in like a duncan wasteland here it's pretty crazy okay speaking of america that wbc team that could do did you notice that the starters on that team would make a really legit 12 team lineup in fantasy yeah no that that's absolutely true uh do you think it is it just a, f- a function of them working well together or i mean no, I was like looking at it and I was like, nope, that's a first rounder. Oh, that's a second rounder. That's a third rounder. It, it's, it was amazing. And like, you know, Ian Kinsler is that dark horse that you had that you like, you waited on second base for a while and then boom, Ian Kinsler was still there in the ninth round. Yeah, listen to this lineup. First rounder, Paul Goldschmidt. Somehow they nabbed Nolan Arenado in the second round. He fell, clearly. The owner was pretty clear that Andrew McCutcheon was going to have a bounce back year. Daniel Murphy, nobody believed mm. in him. Yep. Grab him. Buster Posey, yeah, some people still believe in him. Juan Carlos Dan, because of the injury risk, fell to the sixth round. And then your buddy, yuck, uh, somehow in the seventh round. Man, just like perfect drafting strategy. And then you go boom, boom, boom. Eric Hosmer, Adam Jones, Ian Kinsler, just like nail it out there. Great lineup. Yeah, that I, I I think it really does work. I mean, you're you're a little stuck on pitching. No, they waited on pitching. They're like, I'm not gonna. They're not gonna spend a first rounder. No, pitching. they strategized. I I think I think you're right about that. You wait on pitching, you can still get an ace like Chris Archer. Two hundred fifty Ks in pen now. Oh come on, man! Why I didn't even prompt you. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> not going in the bet box but just you know in case you're wondering i, I didn't even <laughs> <laughs> you just want to dig your own hole here huh oh man archer is gonna be so good this year speaking of draft strategy though we are in what is interesting in our league the middle of the rights draft how do you feel about that about that i do not feel good because i think it's a 14 player deep right now and i am sitting at the 12th spot and watching everyone that i like get taken so are you looking forward to picking i am looking forward to picking i still have a couple guys in mind that i think are going to be good uh rights players i i gotta say the rights draft is pretty much the only time of the year that i'm excited 
that we have guys on rights. Yeah, otherwise it well, you know, the trade deadline sometimes it can be kind of fun. You can cash in some players and invest poorly in other players. It's I, it's always screwy. I th- I think you're right. I mean, you're right about that. The the draft value is a little screwy in the rights. People don't really know what to do. And I mean, when you read when you read different ranking systems, all the guys are shuffled around between different rankings. But yeah, rights players, it's really hard to judge because you just have a bunch of stats. We talked about the different leagues and what the stats in those leagues mean. But really, you have no idea what to expect from any of these guys. I agree with that. All right. This week, Eric's going to tackle something that's a little hairy. I think it's not a fully settled issue yet, talking about positional scarcity and some of the results that he's been studying there. And then I'm going to get us into forecasting whip, which is our category of the week. So take it away, Eric. Not all positions are created equal. This was the premise of uh, my topic last week that I prodded. I set up a straw man argument about middle versus corner infielders and kind of pointed out that the traditionally weak position of second is much stronger than in years past, while first base is not as powerful as usual. Why? Just quick on the takeaways. Uh, My analysis looked at all five categories equally, because in a traditional head-to-head format, each position is weighted equally in the results. Um, Another reason, the top 12 second basemen are good. And then there's a drop off in value in, in the team. What does that mean? The, the top twelve second basemen are good. Well, they no, they are they are legitimately good and interesting, and not just for second basemen, which you know you hear a lot. I feel like we heard that a lot in college. Oh, you guys are no, you guys are handsome for uh, insert name of fraternity here. Oh, I I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then um. <laughs> But with a after the top twelve second baseman, there is a drop off in value. Um, while the first baseman have a slightly flatter curve for value's sake, uh, that drops off more in the twenties. Now, I've I've kind of felt like that was true for years at first. Do you not feel that way? I think that there's always been a handful of like stalwart, amazing first basemen. And then yes, that it's that the curve is shallower, or mm-hmm. yeah, shallower, but starting at a higher point. Like this is starting at yeah. like about the same point as those second basemen, the middle of the crop of the second baseman. Sure, I I agree with that. Uh, to me, it's like the the intercept is different. The slope is the same, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, the slope is the same. The intercept uh, on the okay. y-axis is different. And then last short uh, is exceptionally weak. <laughs> well, third is diverse. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But yeah, third base is really diverse these days. I think that the positional scarcity fallacy is similar to the gambler's fallacy. The logic makes sense, but it doesn't actually pan out when you put it under the microscope. Um Mike, so I prepared a couple of graphs. I think you're taking a look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, these show the relative value of players using 
disaggregate for. So this is actually through our regular season last year. So through the first 18 weeks of last year where the, um, the graphs that I've created, the X axis is a player's rank at their position. And then the Y axis is their total disaggregate for. So I have these graphs. We'll make these available on the Twitters. Um, any other things that, that you kind of noticed as... I think one of the things one of the things that's interesting to me as a Will Myers owner mm-hmm. is that I don't find him particularly valuable at first base. You don't think of him as valuable at first base. I don't. And this is actually opening my eyes a little bit. I mean, my team's a little different because I also have Joey Votto, who I'm assuming is set for a giant bounce back year. Bounce back year from being a top 10 first baseman to being a top top first baseman yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean no no top top first baseman but i uh you know it's but this is telling me that if i had constructed my team differently Mm -hmm. and this is honestly something that i had thought about last year like both will myers and joey vado were very valuable at first base and it's kind of a drag to double lock up first base like that thankfully will myers has outfield eligibility but you know, I mean, he's what I'd say three times as valuable as Mark Trumbo, according to this. Yeah, and I would I would agree with that. And that's that's the stolen bases. That's the yeah. his ability to average. Yeah, and he has a a better than decent average. He had a better than decent average that might regress a little bit. But yeah, and that's that's where these graphs are. That's what these graphs show, and that's what the four metric is supposed to show is getting. Um, getting value in categories that a position doesn't typically get value from or just killing it (laughs) in a certain category like Jonathan VR. And this is where I'm going to talk about diversity at third base. Jonathan VR kills it at third base because he gets so many more stolen bases than anyone else at the position. And Nunez also has eligibility as Mike gets really close to the screen so I can see his pores. Um, Nunez also has third base eligibility, has a tremendous amount of value over some of the prototypical third basemen just because he brings something different to the table. And then you have some nice mashers in the middle. And what I really liked about this, about my metric that I created, is that Todd Frazier, still a top top option at third we have to get you off making metrics that make your players look good not gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) we just let you run wild on these all the time no oversight like man jose altuve twice as valuable as any player it's so weird i don't know no that's not that's not fully true because this metric does (laughs) highlight jonathan vr who you drafted last year if i recall come on man (laughs) All right, fine. I'll let it go that your metric does this. If you let it go that I drafted Jonathan VR and dropped him in week three. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not going to happen either. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so diversity at third base is, I think that's kind of interesting. That's why the position is so, is deep, but not in the prototypical sense. It's because you have a lot of different players who are eligible at third, and you have some real mashers and some guys that can actually 
do multiple things, whereas you have yeah. some really weak players at first base. I mean, come on. I think Pujols with no ankles or knees, <laughs> uh, still like a top 10 first baseman. Top 12, I think it is. Would you still draft him if they popped him in a wheelchair and wheeled him down to first after he hit? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you would have. Big poppy as well. The- <laughs> Same. Yeah, absolutely. He's, you still could draft him this year. But the uh, the third base diversity point is really interesting in that your metric, the only thing to me that doesn't pass the smell test on your metric is that this says that Eduardo Nunez is 150% of the value of Josh Donaldson. And that's that's a little hard to stomach. Well, so this is at that point in the season. If you actually look at the stats through the first 18 weeks, it it actually does pass muster when you look at the stats through the whole, at the regular season. It doesn't make sense, but um, I I did look at these. The only one that doesn't make sense, um, and you're not gonna like this one. Matt Duffy made a little appearance in the in the top I think 15 at short maybe. Um, that one doesn't quite pass muster, but that's uh. I understand how I understand how it happens, and we we can try to uh, ameliorate that situation going forward. Well, I mean, he he's progressed himself way out of any sort of value. I mean, is he is he going to play fifty games this year? No, but that's mostly injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was mostly injuries last year too. I mean, yes, yeah. can't stay healthy. Not helpful if he, you're fighting for contract. Really, he really can't stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to remake this um, at the end of the year. Like, Jose Ramirez's value, I assume, went up because it was he stole bases at a totally unexpected clip for the entire season. Yeah, Jose Ramirez was, I mean, he was in here just like uh, Hernan Perez. You know, these are the some of the players yep. that ended up getting people to fantasy playoffs. So the question that I have for you, though, is what to make of the shortstop position, because most of these look kind of once you get past the top two or three players, most of the these graphs kind of look similar. Shortstop. I think this is telling you that you could wait a while to draft at shortstop. That's I mean, that's part of the uh, instruction that I would give people. I there's I mean there's there's quite a plateau here. I mean, you get you get past VR and everyone else is fairly similar value. Well, yeah, and then the, the part of what you're seeing is VR and Eduardo Nuñez are third base eligible, Gene Segura is second base eligible. Yeah. Ian Desmond is gone from the shortstops. He wasn't even mm-hmm. he technically didn't play shortstop. Um so then you all of a sudden if you're looking at it from there, then you have just Lindor, Bogarts, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, and then Elvis Andres and Jose Ramirez. And then that's boom. Then everyone else is a full step below. So I would say, you know, if you don't get one of those those first guys, if you don't get Lindor, Bogarts, Story, Correa then you're going to have to roll the dice with Elvis Andrus or hope that Jose Ramirez repeats or, you know, whatever. Just fill that hole. Yeah, that's I short's short's going to be interesting this year. I mean, you already know that I've I've pushed my chips 
on short. Yep. Yeah. Yes, you have. <laughs> I'll, I'll take those guys. Look at that. Look at that lineup. Tell me that you wouldn't take that 10-guy lineup right there. That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. So just one caution for war highlights players. True value in head-to-head category. Um, unfortunately, if you take the top guy at each position, you may overwin steals at the price of being competitive in power. You know, that's just the way it is. Team construction is still something you need to think about. All of these metrics that we're going to produce are going to sort of be in a vacuum until we start thinking about game theory a little bit more. But this is, you know, a little bit of food for thought. And I think that we have given a little bit of advice to our listeners. That's crazy. On not one but two occasions this week, Eric made fun of the Twins defense. And unfortunately, I had to agree. The Twins left field is a joke. Uh, <laughs> Come on. Third base is Miguel Sano. Would you take the Arizona Diamondbacks outfield or the Twins outfield? Are they in target field or in Arizona? Target field. Diamondbacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that, that was that was kind of dirty, but I'll, I'll accept it. So whip walks and hits plus inning pitched and by extension ERA, which we're going to talk about in two weeks, can be pretty interesting to forecast. Uh, Before we get into the pitfalls of forecasting this, I just want to set the stage here. What's your expected breakdown between starting pitchers and relief pitchers? I have some numbers here, but tell me your gut before we do that for innings pitched. How many a starter can get? You mean in general, or how many I'm looking for for my team? I mean, what? Yeah, what your what you are projecting for your team the starters innings versus relievers innings to be in a given week. Oh, geez. You know, I always I always think to myself, okay, let's average. All right, guys. Okay, <laughs> this week. Okay, team. <laughs> okay, team. You're gonna average. You guys are gonna average six innings a piece starters and then you like point at the fifth starter and you're like i'm looking at you buddy and then sometimes i then i'm like you know put my hand to the rest of the team behind behind talk to the a say you're gonna give me an extra inning i'm gonna round up (laughs) (laughs) but then i just hope for like i don't know three innings a piece from the relief pitchers which i round up to 10 that's amazing i mean that's like okay here are my numbers this is what i wrote down back of the envelope i said say six average of six innings a start for the starters and shoot for eight starts so 48 innings for starters that's probably on the low end realistically i'd expect my three relievers to each get three innings on average during the week so nine round up to 10 sounds great so we're talking about a five to one ratio for starters so for whip here we're really going to focus on the starters mm. and we're just going to hope that you got your act together on relievers and that they're not going to come in and just let up that grand slam over 0.1 innings. But whip is whip is tough to forecast to me because it's season stable, but it's not a week stable stat. So it's hard to figure out what this means in fantasy because you can predict guys whip over the course of a year, but you can't predict really what it's going to be in a week versus Mm -hmm. from week to week 
You can't predict what the dispersion is going to be. It's really hard. So how can we really think of individual guys? I think that we kind of have to think about this as a statistical ensemble. Oh and we boy. talked about this a little bit last year. And I'm going to coin this as the Eric method here. You've said this to me offhand before that you think of pitchers as a guy who's going to blow up one in six starts, you yep. know, one in every five starts, one in every four, one in every three. And you try yep. and essentially balance your mixture together and try and lead to a balanced team. You want to defend yourself on that or? Nope. <laughs> okay. I, I don't really have a method. So I'm trying to come up with a method is, <laughs> is I guess what this is about. Good approach. But, but you know what we haven't talked about in a while? Regression. Yeah. We haven't done this in a while. It's time to fix that. At its heart, regression is just going to be about finding a model relationship between two variables and then looking at the difference between that model and actual data. All right. So let's take a really like a basic pitching example um, from some higher order statistics here that people like to look at. Typically, there is a great correlation between whip and BABIP. BABIP. So batting average on balls in play, as you might expect. But let's start really simple. The example here is that we fit a linear relationship to the entire ensemble of starting pitchers who recorded more than 100 innings in 2016. So the entire ensemble means we made a big scatter plot of whip versus Babbitt for pitchers. But then we want to build a model so we find a best fit line to that mm -hmm. and we make the residuals of that. So this is a concept that we're pretty comfortable with, but um, hopefully... Our listeners are getting more comfortable listening to us in this more statistical mode as well. So how do you feel about learning from residuals? Do you take, especially in this one context, do you take BABIP seriously for pitchers? I, I do, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that you can really depend on it from year to year. They're, they're pitchers, <laughs> my buddy Julio Tehran, who are able to out, <laughs> who are able to outperform it year after year. Some, I mean, some for entire careers. Yeah, that's really true. So, okay, here are the guys that the residuals identify as regression candidates, meaning that for the BABIP that they recorded in 2016, you would have expected their whip to be worse or a higher number than they actually recorded. Okay, case number one, the largest outlier here, Clayton Kershaw. Mm. His whip was otherworldly but his BABIP is rel I mean low but fairly pedestrian so you would have expected his whip to be a lot worse uh Rich Hill Noah Syndergaard and Paxton do you believe that those guys are actually all regression candidates on whip no uh, Clayton Kershaw is, is well I mean he can what he can he could have a minor uptick that would so regression in this sense is means that they increase their whip by 0.2 or greater. 0.2. I mean, Kershaw could probably 0.2. I I could see him like increasing it by like 0.16, and he's still an mm -hmm. elite pitcher. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that a lot of independent um, <laughs> analysis says that Syndergaard might blow up this year so I, I i see that as well rich hill i don't know how he's even on the mound at this age so either he's gonna either he's gonna continue being um like defying the statistics or he could regress and then paxton yeah of course he's a regression candidate let's not 
Let's not waste now, our time Now, there. Paxton, we're going to come back to in a second. Let me tell you about the progression candidates. So the guys that that should actually do better than you saw last year. This is a really interesting list to me. Brandon Finnegan, mm-hmm. Hector Santiago, mm-hmm. James Shields, Giovanni Gallardo, Jimmy Nelson, John Neese, Jorge De La Rosa, and Mike Pelfrey. All these guys posted whips that were 0.2 higher than you would expect if you regressed it back to the mean. Yeah. All right. Do well, you, but are you drafting any of those guys? None of those. Only one of those guys is drafted in our league. Who's drafted in our league? I don't even know. Nice. 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 Oh, my God. We have a team. We have a league full of Mets fans. <laughs> uh, Hector Santiago. Um, unfortunately, the defense behind him is yeah. atrocious. So um, if he was on a team with a better defense, I might, I might believe that. Um, Jimmy Shields, yeah, of course he's he can bounce back. Gallardo, he he yo-yos every single year. I mean, these are all guys. This all makes sense for guys that you know. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> these are these are all guys, in my opinion, that are going to be owned at some point in our league this year. Oh, they're going to be owned and then dropped and then owned again. I'm wondering if if these guys are a recipe for success. I mean, this is crazy. Like, only one of these guys is owned. I'm going to keep an eye on these guys and see where they come out on this from week to week. But that said, I didn't draft any of them. You didn't draft any of them. So, uh, takeaways. Let's put a bow on this. Is it a cop-out to say that ERA and whip track that actually... I mean, I sort of ignored this in this discussion. But if you've got a good guy on ERA, he's going to be good on whip. Uh, I mean, I think that there are different styles of of pitchers, but yeah, it's it, they're gonna track they're, the the pitchers who have better ERAs. It's gonna be really difficult to have atrocious whips. I mean, I can only think of yeah. like the player that I think of off the top of my head is Lance McCullers has a yeah. enormous whip, and sure. that's that's going to for the ERA that he has, and that's gonna blow up when he can't um, keep those. He can't strand those runners. I will say that it's not even particularly better to use FIP to forecast whip here, um, but I might tend to believe in the the anti-regression or the progression guys on that rather than the BABIP guys. Are you going to tell know. me correlation coefficients off air? <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll speak nerdy to you for sure. Uh, so again, I think starters are going to dominate this. The question is kind of how safe to play it. Like, do you think about, are we going to think about this really going in with relievers? Um, but speaking as to our previous conversations, we've had, we've talked about K's and wins, both of which are clearly tied to just how many innings pitched you can accumulate. Whip is not, um, is that factoring into how you're thinking about constructing your team at all? It definitely does. I, I, I mean, this backs up my assertion that you either style your team as a K's and wins or an ERA, ERA and whip team. And that yeah. means that you, if you're focusing on ERA and whip, then you somehow artificially increase that, um, that number of relievers, AKA yeah. the best Ardo strategy, figure out some, um, the starting, pitchers who are working in starting pitching eligible guys who are in relief who are going to have lower 
lower whips, lower ERAs. It means that you're playing more, more of a role of the dice, but it's also a way to kind of minimize the number of innings that you're working with so that you can take that innings eater guy who's killing it and have him <laughs> have him um, be the bread and butter for your ERA and whip strategy. All right. Well, so so we're leaving it open. We're still pretty convinced that there's a split between the K's and wins and the ERA and whip camps. I'm okay with that. We'll see how it shakes out. I have not ever successfully done that approach and you tried it for like six or seven weeks and <laughs> and did pretty well with it um yeah i mean as we discussed before it's sad to say that was the best pitching lineup that i've ever churned out with a bunch of <laughs> just dumpster stuff but <laughs> so we're gonna wrap this sucker up so there it was innocently minding my own business at my desk this week when across twitter comes that Greg Bird has a very interesting cat. And I shared this with you immediately. Tell us about it. It's a royal cat. It is <laughs> Mr. Bigglesworth's offspring. Who yeah, has a hairless cat <laughs> who's not a Bond villain? <laughs> Apparently Greg Bird. I mean... Uh... We were unable to anticipate feline complications to the reanimation process. That... <laughs> That was such a such a great scene. Look at what happened to Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> it really is great. I was I was so heartened just to see that. But that really kind of just adds to the mystique of Greg Bird. Yeah, Greg Bird who has a what was it? He has a hairless cat that acts like a dog that looks like a snake. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, there's just there's just no way around that. So wheels guess, within uh, wheels. I guess we really learned to appreciate Greg Bird on a new level this week. That sucks because he's a Yankee. He really does. All right. So that brings us to the review session this week. And they are nature's sweets. Uh, They turn your pee red. Sometimes astonishingly. Maybe not you. Okay. Maybe that's just me. Uh, Beats. What do you think about beats? No, I think that I, I, I would go for the golden variety, the hipster golden variety, to try and stay away from the, the red, the reddish tinge. All right, you know what? I, I don't like this. It sounds like we're agreeing on this again, because I, I definitely stay to the golden beats variety, because, yeah, it's, I, it is disturbing when you're, like, at work, <laughs> st- sitting on the toilet, all of a sudden it's like, what just happened? God. I mean, luckily it's like, luckily it's an otherworldly red, so you realize pretty quickly. But I mean, it it's freaky for like a second, and also they're so damn fibrous. Yeah, they uh, they pass through a little bit faster than usual. But you know, I, sometimes the one they don't quite work through the one a day schedule. <laughs> that said, I mean, growing up we had a lot of steamed beets for whatever reason as a vegetable. Really? Yeah, with dinner, a lot of steamed beets. We I feel like it was it it was regular enough that like I knew what it was, but not quite regular enough that it was something that it still surprised me. Like most of my surprises still remembering it from a kid. 
going to school and being like, what is happening? But I think, so my current favorite preparation of beats, though, is not the the one that I grew up with, which was just the beat rounds steamed. Mm-hmm. I prefer to matchstick them, you know, put them in a salad, put them on top. You oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm still a cute, I'm a cube kind of guy. Oh, did I make did I make you the Indian beats? You've made those for me before. I mean, <laughs> just like dye everything red. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta get the the turmeric off your hands somehow, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> should I stain my hands orange or should I stain them red? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I'll do them. I like a good root vegetable, so I'll I'll, I'll roast those. Bake those, saute them, yeah, you know, anything. All right, maybe we need to have a some sort of beet exploration here in the next little bit of time. Yeah. All right. Well, on that bombshell, uh, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. You can try tracking down our personal email or sending us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left for you is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.